Welcome to the Civil Engineering Podcast, the podcast focused on helping civil engineering professionals succeed by exposing them to interesting civil engineering projects and successful civil engineering professionals around the world. Hosts Anthony Fasano and Christian Knutson had successful but unconventional civil engineering careers and now focus on helping civil engineering professionals achieve their goals in work and life. Welcome to the Civil Engineering Podcast. I'm your host, Anthony Fasano, and this is the podcast specifically for civil engineers who want to succeed. And when I say succeed, I mean to achieve your goals. I think that's an important thing to understand. A lot of people might equate success with money, ranking, title, but for me, it's all about achieving the goals that are important to you. I have a periodic co-host on the show, Chris Knutson, who is not here with me today. However, he is working on some awesome interviews that are going to be broadcast on future civil engineering podcast episodes in the very near future. In today's episode, I have a pretty awesome guest for you today, Shanna Carroll. She is a civil engineer who's in sales. So she really covers the whole spectrum in this interview from the technical side of what she does to also networking and presentations. And she gave so many tips on productivity. She gave books. She gave a course that everyone should take. And she had an amazing three-piece career elevator advice that'll be the last part of the show today. So please stick around for this interview. It's well worth it. I'm going to listen to it again myself, and I'm going to implement some of the things that Shanna talked about. For the project segment of the show this week, which is coming up next, I'm going to give you a bit of a, a look into my recent trip. I had the opportunity to go to Iceland, which was a pretty awesome opportunity. And that's one of the things Chris and I really try to infuse into this show because we believe that civil engineering is global. And so we try to get around to different project sites around the world, literally, and bring them to you and talk about them a little bit. And the Blue Lagoon is an interesting one because it's one of the natural wonders of the world. And I'm going to talk about it in the project segment from a civil engineering perspective of how it's very much based on geothermal energy. So I'm going to play that recording for you for the project segment, which is from when I was in Iceland. And then we'll jump into Shanna's interview. You can find the show notes for this show at civilengineeringpodcast.com, episode number 10. I'll put a picture or a couple pictures of my visit to the Blue Lagoon, and we'll go from there. Remember, you can always submit your projects. We want to hear your projects and feature your projects on the podcast. And you can do that by going to civilengineeringpodcast.com forward slash projects, or just click on the red button that says submit your project. Let's jump into the Civil Engineering Project of the Week segment. Civil Engineering Podcast. Civil Engineering Podcast. So this week's Civil Engineering Project of the Week segment is being brought to you from Iceland. That's right, Iceland. I am here traveling, and I just returned from a visit to the Blue Lagoon, and that's going to be our project of the week for this week. However, before I jump into it, I just want to say that the idea behind travel in general can be extremely helpful to you as a civil engineer in your career and life in general. It's something that we're going to focus on as our theme in August on the Engineering Career Coach blog, but basically it can really open up your mind to other possibilities and other opportunities that exist. As a civil engineer, it's exciting because you get to see a lot of civil engineering projects and the way Those projects are designed in different countries, which gives you different ideas, which is really cool. But for me, when I studied abroad as an engineering student, it really opened up my mind in general. It's a reason that we're trying to bring you some projects from different locations so you can kind of push yourself and open up your mind. 
So I'm here in Reykjavik, Iceland. I'm sitting in Reykjavik Roasters, a great coffee shop here. And just a couple things before I dive into this project of the Blue Lagoon, which is a fascinating place. There's a couple things about Iceland that I just want you to know in general. It is an island. It's a country between the North Atlantic and the Arctic Oceans. It's relatively small and has a population of about 330,000 people and an area of about 40,000 square miles, which is the lowest population density of any country in Europe. The capital, of course, is here in Reykjavik. Reykjavik and the areas in the southwest of the country are home to about two-thirds of the population. Iceland is volcanically and geologically active. The interior consists of a plateau characterized by sand and lava fields, which made for an amazing ride in here from the airport. There's mountains, there's glaciers, glacial rivers that flow to the sea. So it's, it's a beautiful country, beautiful landscape. And it's very easy to get to if you're in the U.S., especially the northeastern U.S. You can fly Iceland Air actually to Europe with free stopovers in Iceland. I think the flight here from New York was about four and a half, five hours. So this will be a brief project segment, but let's dive into the Blue Lagoon. The Blue Lagoon is a spa at this point that many tourists visit. However, it was originally formed when hot brine from a nearby geothermal power plant was discharged into an adjacent lava field. And that created this whole spa. It's, it's all based on geothermal energy. And if you're not sure what that is, geothermal energy is thermal energy that's generated and stored in the earth. It's actually the energy that determines the temperature of matter. The geothermal energy of the earth's crust originates from the original formation of the planet, at least a portion of it, and another portion of it is from a radioactive decay of materials. Now, this was obviously the idea or the beginning of this blue lagoon was naturally started, but then later improvements were done to make it a full-blown spa, hotel, restaurant, banquet facilities. So now this man-made lagoon is fed by the water output of this nearby geothermal power plant, and it's renewed in every two days. So what happened was people started bathing in this lagoon, and the silica mud that surrounds the lagoon and that makes up the lagoon started to have positive impacts on people's skin. People with diseases like psoriasis, they noticed an incredible improvement in their condition. So over the years now, the Blue Lagoon has been kind of very innovative in harnessing this, this natural gift to develop different spa services and products. Today, the Blue Lagoon is recognized as one of the wonders of the world, one of the natural wonders of the world. So where is this project located? It's located in a lava field in Grindavik on the Reykjanes Peninsula. In southwestern Iceland. It's about a 45-minute trip away from Reykjavik, and it's about eight miles away from Keflavik International Airport. A lot of people I know will go to the Blue Lagoon right from the airport if they get in early for their first kind of day. We took a bus from Reykjavik. The size of this project, the Blue Lagoon holds six million liters of geothermal seawater, all of it which is renewed in 40 hours, which I found to be phenomenal. There's no really known project for this budget because part of it was formed by the nearby geothermal power plant, and then later the improvements were made. So we don't, we're not sure about budgeting for this project. Special design features or challenges about the project. At this power plant, the nearby geothermal power plant, they're drilling holes up to 2,000 meters deep down into the earth. They scrape through underground kettle 
It's full of subterranean seawater. The subterranean seawater is mixed up of subterranean seawater, about 60-65%, and freshwater, about 30-35%. The temperature there is about 460 degrees Fahrenheit. All right, chemicals fall out of the surrounding rocks, which is very high with silicon, changing the chemical, boosting up the silicon 100 times. Amazing amounts of silicon in this water. And then the magnesium content, when this chemical reaction happens, reduces 1,000 times. So then this liquid is used to make electricity, hot water to heat up houses. It's really amazing how the whole system works. The subterranean seawater is then pumped out over the nearest lava fields. When the procedures reach this point, the subterranean seawater has cooled down from about 460 degrees Fahrenheit to 150 degrees Fahrenheit. When the subterranean seawater liquid cools down, the seawater supersaturates of silicone and many long chains of silicone molecules show up. And that's where it eventually settles into the Blue Lagoon, where it gets to about 100 degrees, and it's got the silicone content. And that's why when you get in the lagoon, they tell you to condition your hair very well, because you'll get all the silica in your hair. And you take the mud and you put it on you. It's a fascinating trip. It's, it's relaxing, but it's also just powerful to understand about the geothermal energy behind it. The name Blue Lagoon came because when the light hits the water, it shatters because of the magnitude of the silicon, and it turns blue. It's this beautiful blue color, and I'll include a couple of photos in the show notes for the show, which is at civilengineeringpodcast.com. will be episode 10. The Blue Lagoon's facilities, including the Blue Lagoon Spa and the clinic, they were designed by Basalt Architects. The aim of the design was to protect the environment and respect its geological history. The design's characterized by pure Icelandic materials from the moss and the stones. They really wanted to emphasize the relationship between kind of the nature part of it and the man-made part of it. And it's totally obvious when you walk up to the lagoon because you got to take this path that's hundreds of feet through this kind of natural lava rock little mountains. It's an amazing project and it's an amazing, just all around, it's an amazing feature. The benefits of society really are that this warm water is rich in these minerals like silica, sulfur, and bathing in the Blue Lagoon has been known to help people suffering from these different skin diseases like psoriasis. The water temperatures pretty much average from 99 degrees to 102 degrees Fahrenheit. And the Blue Lagoon also operates a research and development facility to help find cures for other skin ailments using the mineral-rich water. And I thought this was a cool project because it really shows how you can harness the earth and use it in a positive way. And there's a lot of civil engineering that goes into something like this. So that concludes the civil engineering project of the week segment for today's episode. If you are currently working on or have worked on an interesting or challenging project, please let us know what it is by going to civilengineeringpodcast.com and submitting your project. We're going to dive in now and I'm going to kick it over to the main segment where we'll talk to Shanna Carroll. Let's do it. Civil Engineering Podcast. Civil Engineering Podcast. Now it's time for this week's civil engineering conversation where we talk with a civil engineering professional who has had success in their field or maybe striving towards a specific goal. And we're going to dive into this week an interesting topic of, of sales as an engineer. And today's guest is Shanna Carroll. Carroll has been involved in the design, estimating, and pre-construction management of specialty geotechnical systems throughout the East Coast since 2001. She also has an extensive expertise in the geo-environmental field and geotechnical instrumentation. As an early advocate of sustainability, Carol received both her LEED accreditation and Green Advantage certification 
Several years ago, Carol also blogs on the topics to help professionals move from the cubicle to the corner office, and I got to meet Shanna down at the Engineering Career Summit we had in D.C., where she was a panelist, which was a great event, and it was great to have her at the event. Shanna, welcome to the show. Thanks, Anthony. We're going to talk a little bit about sales and engineering today, and I guess the best way for you to start, Shanna, is, I mean, you went to school for engineering, and you find yourself now in a sales role. Maybe you could just take us through that process a little bit, how you got from school into, into the role that you're in today. Sure. So what most people don't know about me is I actually started, I went to Bucknell University and I started out as a freshman as an English major. Wow. And at Bucknell, you're required to take an elective for world technology, something along those lines. And so I chose to take engineering simply because my stepfather and my father both owned one a heating and air conditioning company and the other one an excavation firm and so I thought it would be interesting Hmm. so freshman year uh, six months passes by the only class I did any work in that did not come very easily to me was the engineering class during Christmas break I thought about what my student loans were going to look like when I got out of school and did I really want to spend my time not challenging myself and so I went into the Dean of Engineering after winter break of freshman year and asked if I could switch into the engineering program. Thank goodness for me, there weren't very many women trying to get into the program at the time. And she accepted me and that's where I started. So I've always had a knack for, for people in writing and the engineering really came second to me. So I got through the program, got, uh, stayed and got my master's degree, really enjoyed it, loved the professors, loved the work, started out as an environmental geotechnical engineer and was with a company called Geosyntech Consultants for four years. Loved that work, but the things that were missing for me were the client interactions, the presentations and the, the paper writing. It was a lot of field work and a lot of sitting at the computer running calculations. Okay, that was and that was right out of school, right? So yep, that was right out of school. That was my first first job. Okay. So four years later, I had been in touch with a recruiter that also had attended Bucknell for, for several years. And every once in a while he would call me and ask, Are you interested in this job? Are you interested in that job? And most of the time the answer was no, because I really did love my job at the time. And one day he said, well, what is it that you want to do? And if I find that, I'll call you back. And so I said the same thing I just told you, which was the client interactions, the paper writing, things like that. And he called about six months later and said, I think I have the perfect job for you. Have you heard of a gentleman named Mike Cowell and Geostructures? And so I I took the interview. During the interview, there really wasn't a set job description for my role which as an engineer and somebody who's very focused and into the details and the weeds was a little unnerving to go into an interview without that in front of me. But what was great about it is I sat down with the owner of the company. He asked me what I could do for him and what I wanted to do. So I gave him a list of bullets. And about a week later, I got an offer letter with the same list of bullets that I had given him. And I've been here for about 10 years. I can understand 
being an engineer and analytical and focused person myself, having a job interview without a job description is definitely something that I would feel (laughs) kind of uncomfortable with. But I think it was great that he recognized, obviously, that you had some skills, some interpersonal skills, and there were things you wanted to do and they could accommodate you, which I think is a great way to take a job. And it sounds like that it's worked out since you've been there for 10 years. And maybe just for the listeners, just give us an idea. And I'm sure every one of your days is different. You're you're kind of all over the place in sales, but give us an idea of some of the things that you do do on a regular basis. On a daily basis, there's really not one thing, as you just said. I, I still do some engineering, so I might be actually running calculations and doing takeoffs and, and scoping jobs. Most of my time, though, is spent on the phone with other sales engineers, trying to help them and coach them to close different projects, how to be able to look at them differently, working with the pre-construction engineering group to identify new ways to look at things, innovative ways to design peers, occasionally negotiating contracts, doing presentations, lunch and learn type presentations, presentations to different groups like American Society of Civil Engineers and so on and so forth. But the the interesting part about my day and my week is every day you wake up, you might not end up where you thought you would. Occasionally there's a fire drill and I live in Baltimore. So if the fire drills in New York City, then I get on a train and I go to New York City to put the fire out. Hmm. So it's an interesting job that most people don't think about. That is interesting. And I guess the one question I have for you, because, you know, when I was doing design work, we, we often had the lunch and learns and there would be someone that might come with a specific product or system and they would educate us about it in a lunch and learn. And I guess from the sales perspective, what I kind of always struggled with this idea of the sales is that these people aren't purchasing your product in most of these cases, probably the same for you is that you're trying to educate engineers and you know in hopes of course that they would specify i guess or utilize the product so there's no like immediate sale or result or goal accomplished in these presentations and some of these sales calls which i would see as challenging because i would feel like i'm not seeing the results but how do you deal with that do you just is it something that you track over time or how how does that work <laughs> that's an interesting question anthony We track a lot of things at Geostructures, and and part of the reason is I'm very achievement-oriented, and so I've set up the the metrics. The owner of the company, Mike Cow, might be even more achievement-oriented than I am, and so whatever I didn't set up, he already had in place. And the way that we track everything is I personally consider every single relationship that I make, whether it be in my personal life or in work, as a step that could move me forward in some direction. And if it's not moving you forward, then it's the wrong relationship to be in, whether that be a a friend, a colleague, a, a client, whatever it may be. So the way that we track projects is if you attend or a networking event, or if you present at a lunch and learn, we track all of those metrics And what we find is about 50% of the office visits and lunch and learns that we take part in will result in a new lead being generated. So a new opportunity to actually install our systems on a job site. 
Now, of those 50%, we may only see about a third come to fruition. But when you look at the numbers, it's easier for you to see the progress of it and not be distracted and and maybe a little bit let down, like you're saying, where you're presenting to people who aren't going to end up buying in the long term. Well, that makes sense because that sounds to me like if you have those metrics and you're looking at them on a regular basis, and I'm just thinking from my own perspective, is I would feel like, okay, you know, this is working because, you know, initially I'd have to get over the struggle that I'm going to a seminar, I'm presenting something, and, you know, I'm not really going to know what results I'm getting. But I also, I think to your point, which I try to talk to engineers a lot about is relationship building. And it's so critical in everything you do. And I think these presentations that you do and these meetings that you do give you an opportunity to build up a lot of good relationships in the industry. And I guess also improve your networking skills every time that you go out, which I'm sure for you has been helpful. And you've had a lot of opportunities now to engage with people. Absolutely. All right. So let me ask you this, stepping back a little bit, looking more at the big picture in your career. As a civil engineer, obviously, we get to touch a lot of things that have a big impact on civilization and, and everybody. You know, I tell people, they ask me what a civil engineer does, and I pretty much say just walk outside and look around. There's really not many things that you can find that aren't somehow related to civil engineering. So do you have some kind of a goal, bigger picture for your career, you know, like kind of impact you want to make or something that you want to see happen while you're in your career? Have you thought about that? I have, and it, it's changed over the years, but I, I go back to, regardless of the immediate three-year, five-year, ten-year goal, when I was in graduate school, my mom gave me a, a quote of the day calendar. You, know, you could flip the page each day and read an inspirational quote, and at first I thought it was kind of corny, and one day I was working on my master's thesis, and one of the quotes really stuck out to me. I don't remember who said it, actually, but... The quote says something like, there's a loftier goal than to stand high in the world. It is to lift others higher. And I really like that quote in terms of civil engineering because it exemplifies what I think civil engineering is, using whatever skills you have to better others and to better the world. Hmm. I struggle on a day-to-day basis with that because the two sets of skills that I have are so different, engineering and analytical thinking and then writing and and speaking, and the social aspect of business. And so what I've tried to do on a more recent basis is marry those two and start to write blogs for young professionals and and things that I think will help entry-level engineers in their career. That's interesting. And we'll get that information from Shanna at the end here so you can check out some of her writing. I think that's important, and, and that's kind of the reason I asked that question is because I think it's important for you to, for everyone to have an idea of the kind of impact they want to make and, and figure out how they can live that out. And it sounds like in, in Shanna's case here, she's identified that she has a talent, a technical analytical talent, but she also has the speaking, communication, writing talent. And the question for her becomes, how do I put two together and use them to kind of achieve that goal? And obviously, it looks like she's doing it in a lot of ways. I mean, she's out and about, she's networking, she's going in these calls, so she's getting to have an impact on the world through her technical projects. But then also, she has decided to write and kind of give back. And I agree 100%. I mean, I read a lot of books, and I know, Shanna, you're, you're into podcasts and reading too. And the book I'm reading again right now 
which is The Seven Laws of, of Spiritual Success by Deepak Chopra, which is an awesome book. And he talks a lot about giving and how when you give, it comes back in a lot of ways, not just by getting something. It's not just about getting something back, but it's even just about getting that good energy back or getting good feelings back of being able to help. And that's kind of what Shanna reminded me of with the quote that she just said and the fact that now her outlet by doing this writing is trying to give back, which is also a lot of what I feel in doing a lot of the podcasts and a lot of the writing that we do with the Engineering Career Coach. So that's pretty cool to to hear that. Shanna, tell me about something that may not be as easy to talk about, but what are some of the things that you fear in your career on a daily basis? The main thing that I I get concerned about being a leader in a company is that we're not going to have enough work and people are going to have to be laid off. So I, I, I don't fear for myself. I know that if something happened to me at this company or in life in general, I have a strong family and friend structure that would, would support me and, and my husband. But what I, I do fear and, and can get concerned about occasionally is what happens to the other people that I work with, especially we work with a sister company that's a construction firm. So there are laborers and foremen and operators that work really hard for us day to day, 60 hours a week, traveling with overtime. They're all supporting families. And so when my group doesn't bring work in, their hours get cut back or they get laid off. So that that's the strongest I don't want to call it a negative factor because it can be motivating at times, but that that's my strongest fear in my current position. How do you deal with that fear? Is there things you do to try to not think about it or, or to deal with it? Or it, Well, I work really hard and I hope my boss is listening to that statement. <laughs> no, but, but seriously, I, there's a, another, and I just wrote down the name of the book that you recommended. There's another book that I recommend for anybody listening and, and you've probably read it. It's Dale Carnegie's book, How to Stop Worrying and Start Living. Okay. And he gives he gives several examples in there of how to handle worry and handle that discontentment and, and fear of the unknown. And one of the things that in this particular circumstance I identify with is compartmentalization. So if I were to think about that fear every day on a daily basis, it would be very difficult to do my job. Hmm. And so I compartmentalize it. I put it in a little box in my brain, and I only allow it to come out every once in a while. Wow. So it's always there, but as long as it's not in the forefront of your mind, you're not being controlled by those fears. So basically, you control them, and you allow them out from time to time. Probably allow them out and use them for like motivation. It's exactly what I do. That's really helpful. Let's switch gears a bit and just kind of finish up here talking more about some of the kind of the nuts and bolts of what you do and how you're able to be successful. One of the things I really want to ask you is I know you travel a lot and I know for me, I do some traveling too and I'm, I'm pretty focused on having routines and consistency and I know when I travel that becomes very difficult to do. Is there anything that helps you to stay focused when you're traveling? Because I know it's easy to lose focus. It, it is easy to lose focus. And I've, I'm still not an expert at this, but a couple of things that I do in terms of the, the pre-work or your homework, if you will, I plan each day's activity the night before. So if I have three office visits or project meetings the next day, 
I'll sit down and plan how I expect them to go, what the outcome is that I'm looking for is, and I'll review any project details that I have. If it's a long trip, sometimes I'll plan an entire week in Charlotte, North Carolina. Then I really start planning that a week to two weeks ahead of time so that I plan in three or four productive meetings each day. And I set expectations with my coworkers that somebody else may need to cover the fire drills while I'm handling these meetings. Hmm. And I may not be available as quickly as I typically am. So that setting expectations, I think, goes a long way. The other two things that I do are probably more engineering, you know, focused related. I'm a big fan of David Ramsey's book, Getting Things Done. And from that, I learned to make lists of everything. I use a system called Wonderlist. You can use Evernote and other things. I find Wonderlist is simple for what I need to use it for. And I have lists for packing. I have lists for phone calls to make. I have lists for things that are lost around the house that I need to find. And so when you completely empty your mind of all the ancillary things, it's a heck of a lot easier to focus on what you're doing right then and there. That's interesting. And I think you said getting things done. I think it was David Allen. Or David Allen, sorry. Yeah, getting things done. That's a great book. And I, But I think the point there is critical. What Shanna just said is when you have some lists in place and it minimizes your ability to forget something and it puts your mind at ease. And it, it's the same idea and from a technical side. That's why you have a quality control checklist for your engineering design project. So you don't, if you forget to put a detail on or you forget to do something, it's you're going to pick it up. So I think that that's awesome. And I'm sure that that really helps you, Shanna, to reduce you know, stress and worry, I would think. Yeah, absolutely. And I love your QC analogy. It's exactly what it is. My list is a QC on my my daily life. <laughs> well, there was one other thing that that's worth mentioning because it, I, I learned it about two years ago and I'm sure that you've heard of it, Anthony. Maybe others have as well. There's different versions. I use an Eisenhower box on a daily basis. So if you were to draw four quadrants, the top would be urgent and then not urgent. And then across the bottom you would have important and then not important. Mm-hmm. And it's really effective when trying to figure out if you only have so many minutes in your day that are free because you have office visits, you, you probably have lunch, dinner, and breakfast arranged with clients as well or coworkers. If you can put each of your tasks into those boxes, what I found out is for about two weeks earlier this year, I wrote down everything I did. And a very large percentage of them fell into the not urgent and not important category. Hmm. And so I was able to delete them or automate them. That's great. So it helps you to focus on if it's urgent and important, you need to do it. And if you can't get it done yourself, you need to call in the troops and get some help. But it really helps focus on what you need to be doing at the moment to be productive. That's something I'm really focused on too. I'm extremely sensitive to that. I've read a bunch of 80-20 books. And, you know, I'm all about trying to focus on those big impact items that if you do them, you know, they're going to have a massive impact. And the other stuff can either wait, can be delegated, can be automated, can be done in another fashion. So I think that's huge. And I think if you're listening to this and you just literally just took that one piece of advice from the whole interview and implemented it into your day, I think you would see pretty awesome results. And I, and I love how it ties into the travel here, because I think 
if you keep your box up to date and you know what's urgent and what's important, then you can work on that wherever you are. You should be able to you know, take the time to focus wherever you are. So, so those are some awesome, awesome tips for traveling. Couple of last questions. Obviously, in sales, it's networking, it's communicating with people. Has there been any courses you've taken, books you read that stand out where you look back in your career over the last 10, however many years, and say, you know, this is something that I went back to a lot of times or I use the information from that continuously? There are a lot of books that I probably can't list in the time that we have. The the main course, though, that I was lucky enough to take very early on in my career here at Geostructures was by Achieve Global, and it's called Persuasive Selling Skills, PSS, and it's a three-day course. They offer it, I believe, maybe even online now, but definitely in person, and it's really worth the money in any kind of business that you're in, and I would challenge everyone listening that even if you don't think that you're in sales, you probably are. You're always selling yourself, your skills, your company, and your ideas. And the course is helpful to refocus conversations on the other person. Your average conversation, email, phone call is really about the other person, not not yourself. So that's one of them that I, I take away every day. I take something away from it. The other thing that I go back to every once in a while in terms of sales and strengths, because I do find it difficult sometimes to marry the analytical and the writing and speaking side. There's a book called Strengths Finder. And in that you can take a, a quiz and I don't know, it maybe takes half an hour and it'll identify your top five strengths. And the real theme of the book is focus on what you're strong at instead of a lot of people focus on their weaknesses and try to make them better Focusing on their strengths will make you happier and, generally speaking, more successful. So every once in a while, I'd say every three to four years, I go back to StrengthsFinder. I even reran it recently to see where my strengths are and what areas I need to improve. And then it'll also give you a little snippet of how that can help you in your career interact with other people. That's awesome. And you're the second or third person that's told me about that book in the last few months, so I need to get it. And I definitely want to go through that. All right, just two last questions for you. I know you talked about you have lists, you have things that you follow. Is there some, any kind of specific ritual that you have that you do every single day, no matter what happens, you do this, whether it's you know time of the day you do something, something to do with work, anything that you do every day? There's a, a couple of things I do every day. The, the most important one being, and hopefully I set this up the night before, but if not, the first thing I do when I wake up, even before I check my email, is identify what thing do I want to get done today if nothing else happens. If there's fires all over the place that have to be put out, I want to get this one th- identified thing accomplished. Got it. So I'll identify that and... Most of the time, I'll do it even before I check my emails, because as you know, in today's age, you might get 300 emails a day or more, Mm -hmm. and so it can be very distracting when you already had a list of things to focus on. The other thing that I do in conjunction with that is I review my notes. The best thing that I recommend to young engineers at our company is always carry a notebook with you so that you can make notes about meetings, 
about things that you need to be doing, about ideas that you have, always have that with you. So I'll typically review notes from the day before in the morning as well. And then the other thing I do is I have a list on my wonder list that just simply says to do. And that could be anything. It's really those tasks that fall into they're important tasks, but they're not urgent. And so whenever I have some free time throughout the day, and you always have some, you might be getting gas. Um, If somebody else is driving, I'll do it while I'm in the car. I'll try to click through and figure out what things on that list I can do with the five minutes that I have. So those are three things that I try to do on a daily basis to keep productive and be successful. All right, last question. We call it the civil engineering career elevator advice question. So if you got into an elevator with a civil engineer, had about 30 to 40 seconds with him or her, and had to give them one piece of career advice about, you know, just career development in general, what would be, what would you talk about in those 30 to 40 seconds? The three things that that I would say really make somebody successful, whether you're an engineer or really any profession you are, is, and this sounds cliche, but, but do what you love, do what you enjoy doing, and be somewhere where you feel challenged on a daily basis and you can continually learn. So what I love about our company is we invent new systems in geotechnical engineering. Not many people can say that. So being somewhere where I'm challenged and I, I can learn really increases my life satisfaction and my, my job satisfaction. The other thing that goes by the wayside sometimes, especially I, I feel when you're a younger person and you're getting into the market, or if you're just not confident, is just be genuine. Be yourself. People work with people they like. And if you're not, you're not showing your real self, you're not giving yourself enough credit in the industry and people will get to know you and want to work with you, but don't be fake. Don't try to put on phony airs and things like that, because especially my understanding is the millennial generation is really good at picking that up. People will pick it up and you're going to have a difficult time in your career. Okay. So do what you love, be somewhere where you're challenged on a regular basis and be genuine. Those sound like awesome pieces of advice. And I hope for those of you listening that you've got a pretty good understanding after this conversation of a couple things. I mean, just in general, some things you can do to improve yourself, but also kind of the life behind the sales engineer, right? Like there's sales, there's interaction, there's meetings. So you kind of have to balance a lot of different things. And I think Shanna gave us some great tips on how how she does that with the lists and ways to be focused and pre-planning her day and her meetings, which was great, trying to figure out what she wants the outcomes to be. So, Shanna, thanks a lot for spending some time with us. Where can the listeners connect with you or maybe tell us about your blog? Two ways. I'm, I'm very active on LinkedIn. So if you're listening and you're on LinkedIn, please join me. My name is Shanna Carroll, C-A-R-R-O-L-L. And the other one is my blog, which is www.outofthecube.net. Outofthecube.net. Awesome. And we'll link to... Shanna's LinkedIn profile and her blog in the show notes for this show, which will be at civilengineeringpodcast.com. Look for episode number 10. Shanna, thanks again so much for spending the time. I know you're busy and you're always on the go. It's awesome to talk to you and to hear uh, all your advice. Thank you. Thanks, Anthony. All right. Until next week, everyone, I wish you the best in your civil engineering career endeavors. Thank you for listening to the Civil Engineering Podcast. 
Be sure to visit civilengineeringpodcast.com where you can listen to past episodes and also submit your project to be featured on the show. We also invite you to visit our main website at engineeringcareercoach.com and download a free three-part video series created specifically for engineers to help you best utilize LinkedIn for networking, improve your communication and speaking skills, and also help to develop your leadership abilities. Now is the time to engineer your own success.